Hey everybody and welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thank you all for being with me here today. If you want to support the channel, you can do so by subscribing or hitting like on this video. And you could also help me out by leaving me a review wherever you listen to this podcast. So thanks again everybody for being here and I'm excited today to talk about exact sciences. I was originally going to talk about them last video, but the Ameren news that we got forced me to bump them to the next video. So that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to start off by talking about some biotech stories that came out in the last few weeks. And then I'm going to finish up with a midweek portfolio wrap up. And just so you all know, I'm recording this video around Christmas time. So happy holidays to everybody, whatever you're celebrating. But with that, let's just get right into it. And the first story I want to talk about is the news about intracellular therapies, ticker symbol ITCI. And they just about doubled their market cap after it was announced that their drug Caplita was approved by the FDA for their indication of schizophrenia. And the FDA had originally scheduled an advisory committee, but then canceled it all of a sudden and asked for more toxicology data related to a metabolite that was produced from this drug. And I believe there were some concerns about whether or not the metabolite was toxic to perhaps humans, but it wasn't toxic to mice. So they needed more insight into that. And I guess after ITCI provided that information, uh, the FDA was able to go ahead and approve the drug. They have also tried this drug in monotherapy for bipolar disorder, but they was met with some issues. I think they did two trials and one of them didn't show any statistical significance, but the other one might have. And so what they're doing is moving forward with it as a uh, as an adjunct therapy to another bipolar drug. And we're going to see a readout from that in mid-2020. The next story I want to talk about is Axome Therapeutics, ticker symbol AXSM. And I'm talking about them because they closed last week at $167. And if you saw them at all at the beginning of the year, I think they started trading in 2019 at around $2. So they've just increased thousands of percent as, uh, as the year's gone on. And we heard last week that their phase three Gemini trial of AXS05 met the primary endpoint in patients with major depressive disorder. And interestingly enough, we saw some readouts from other companies that are in the area. One that I've spoken about is Sage, and another one that I haven't looked into is Minerva. And both those companies showed failures in major depressive disorder with their respective drugs. And I see this as an interesting space, so I'm probably going to do a video on its own looking at all three of these companies and all of their data to compare and, and see what's really going on here. But great news for Axome Therapeutics. They have more readouts coming out in 2020. In Q1 especially, they're looking at the same drug, AXS05, for treatment-resistant depression and another drug for migraines. So the stock also might have some upside here if uh, they see positive news in these areas. The next company I wanted to touch on, one that I actually own, is Catalyst Biosciences. And they announced a global license and collaboration agreement with Biogen to develop pegylated CB2782 for the treatment of dry age-related macular degeneration. And this is a specific subset that they're looking at called geographic atrophy. And this drug, this pegylated CB2782, is related to the complement system. And this isn't a system I've talked about, but it is immune and inflammatory. So using this drug is going to reduce the impact of the complement system in the eye. And they're going to try to develop this and see if it's a treatment for dry age-related macular degeneration. And if you look at my previous video, I did mention that of the whole AMD space, which most of the drugs are for wet AMD, uh, dry AMD makes up 90% of all AMD patients, so there's quite a lot of potential here. I'm not sure about the geographic atrophy. I'm going to have to look into it more, but 
Suffice to say that it could be a very big market. So the way the deal is going to break down, Catalyst is going to receive a $15 million upfront payment and up to $340 million in milestone payments subsequently. Biogen is going to perform all the IND enabling activities as well as fund the preclinical and manufacturing activities, whereas Catalyst Bio is going to perform these preclinical and manufacturing activities. Now, when I checked at the close of Christmas Eve, I think Catalyst is trading around their cash position, which is around $85 million in net cash. And uh, for this reason, I think that they're a good buy, a good hold right here. I bought them upwards of around eight and change, and I'm going to keep holding given that this is a new potential area that they could look into. And we should still see readouts from their other drugs that uh, I'm not going to talk about here, but you should go back and look at my previous videos where I looked into those. The last story I want to mention is Acosti Pharma, who have their Capri uh, Omega-3 drug. And we heard, we got a halt actually the day before Christmas Eve. And I thought it was going to be the news of their Trilogy trial, but what it was is an announcement saying that the data is going to be delayed to January 2020, which is also around the same time that we're going to see the second Phase 3 Trilogy data. So we're going to get a lot of data from this company in January of 2020. And they mentioned that the delay had to do with just logistics of getting data from some department to another department. And it seems like it shouldn't have any impact on the data itself. Just the, the timing of the data release is going to be delayed. So not something to be too worried about specifically for that reason, but we'll wait and see what it says. So with that, let's get to our main story for today, which is exact sciences. And they closed on Christmas Eve at $96.64 per share, which gives them a market cap of $14.26 billion. So they're a pretty big company. I'd say they're officially a mid-cap company, maybe upper tier mid-cap. And their focus is on cancer screening solutions. Their primary product is in colorectal cancer, a product called Cologuard. And upon approval in 2014, Cologuard became the first and only FDA-approved SNDA non-invasive colorectal cancer screening test. And the benefits of using this is that it's easy, there's no preparation, there's no doctor visit, it's non-invasive, and it's relatively inexpensive. Colorectal cancer is one of those diseases where if you catch it early, it's quite insignificant. But if you catch it late, your odds of survival are pretty low. And I have written here the five-year survival rates for stages three and four are 71% and 14% respectively. So if the cancer can be caught, even at stage three, your odds of survival of five years are quite high. But once it gets to stage four, that drops significantly. So there's obviously a need or a push for people to get screened when they're at high risk, when they reach a certain age. And that's what we have in this area. Now, before I talk about the specifics on the company and the market, we need to touch on a few things that are important for evaluating whether or not a clinical test is good or bad, say, from a physician standpoint, because it's going to be up to the physician to determine whether or not they should prescribe this test for somebody. And the main concept I want to touch on is sensitivity or specificity. These are criteria that are very important in evaluating whether a clinical test is going to be beneficial for what you're seeking. And when it comes to sensitivity, I'll start with that. It's really an evaluation of true positives in a pool of patients that have true positives as well as false negatives. So in this way, it's a measurement of the probability of a positive test given that the patient has the disease. So if you have 100% sensitivity on a test, it will identify all patients who have the disease. 
And now it's tough to get 100% sensitivity, although it does happen sometimes. But, you know, related to that, if it's 90% sensitive, it'll only identify 90% of patients who have the disease and miss 10% of patients that have the disease. Specificity, on the other hand, refers to the true negatives. And in that way, it's an evaluation of the number of true negatives in a population of people that include true negatives as well as a number of false positives. So it's the probability of a ne negative test given that the patient is okay. And negative and positive here don't refer to any value judgments, just that the test is positive indicating disease or not. So similar to sensitivity with specificity, it's the proportion of people without the disease who are given a negative result. So I know these topics can be a little bit complicated and I encourage you to go to the Wikipedia and I'm gonna take an example here from Wikipedia that shows a nice matrix that indicates an example of how this would play out. So on the y-axis, we have the fecal occult blood test, which is what I'm gonna talk about in a second, and either the outcome is positive or the outcome is negative. And then on the x-axis, we have the patients themselves, and in this pool of patients, either they're positive, they actually have bowel cancer, or they're negative, where they don't have bowel cancer. So the four quadrants you can have are either true positive, true negative, or the case where there are false positive or a false negative. And so the sensitivity in this case is the true positive divided by the sum of the false negatives and the true positives. So in a screening test, for instance, a doctor will probably opt for a test that has very high sensitivity because in this way, the number of false negatives that occur is very, very low, which is important when you're trying to screen for people. Now, on the other hand, when it comes to specificity, the equation would be the, the number of true negatives divided by the sum of the false positives as well as the true negatives. So after the screening test, a doctor might opt for a more specific test such that the number of false positives are very, very low and that the true negatives are illustrated with this test. Now, the other way we can look at these tests to see whether or not they're good or not and which might be more valuable for the patient is the positive predictive value or the negative predictive value. And this is pretty useful because it says in a population that have been given a positive test result, this shows whether or not the odds are that you actually have the disease or you don't have the disease. So the equation would be the number of true positives divided by the sum of the true positives and the false positives. Similarly, the negative predictive value is the number of true negatives divided by the sum of the false negatives and the true negatives. So I hope that made sense, and if it didn't, go on the Wikipedia and look at the different examples they have. But for this case, we're going to be comparing the sensitivity and specificity of a variety of different tests that look at colorectal cancer screening. And this is relevant because doctors are going to use these values to determine whether or not it's a good test to prescribe for a patient. So the major tests that are used right now to evaluate colorectal cancer are the fecal immunochemical test or the fecal occult blood test, as well as a colonoscopy. The fecal immunochemical test is a non-invasive test as well. It's very inexpensive and it just screens for digestive tract bleeding. You basically give a stool sample and you mark it on this piece of paper and you send it into a lab that's going to evaluate it for blood. And this is blood that you can't see by your eye. And if you could see it from your eye, you would just go into the doctor and get evaluated immediately. So in this way, it's able to look for blood that isn't obvious to the eye and people are advised to get this test yearly if they're at risk for colorectal cancer and in general the sensitivity for colorectal cancer screening the sensitivity is 73.8 percent with a specificity of 94.9 percent 
Colonoscopies, on the other hand, are much more invasive. It's an examination of the large intestine with a camera. It requires a lot of prep and a lot of time for a procedure. There's health risks associated with it. There's a risk that there's going to be a perforation of the actual bowel, which is obviously very dangerous. The sensitivity, though, can be quite high. It can get up to 98%, and it does range depending on what the disease is, whereas the specificity is 87% to 91%. And patients are advised to get this once every 10 years, and it is a pretty costly procedure. Now, Cologuard, on the other hand, which is the test offered by Exact Sciences, is a multi-marker test that tests for three things. DNA methylation, certain mutations of the DNA, as well as hemoglobin. And hemoglobin is a component of blood, so it kind of combines the already existing test with additional metrics that allow it to be a little more sensitive. And in colorectal cancer, Cologuard has a sensitivity of 92%, and for stage 1 and stage 2 cancer, the sensitivity is 94%. Now, with high-grade dysplasia, that goes down to 69%, but the specificity overall is 87%. And I have here on the video a breakdown of the actual uh, comparison between the fecal immunochemical test. And we can see here that over a lot of metrics, it does do better in the sensitivity department, but it's not quite better in the specificity department. So there's obvious benefits to using a test that is more sensitive when it comes to screening. Now, what does the market look like for a test like this? And basically, there's around 85 million people in the United States that are aged 50 to 85, and age really is one of the higher risk factors associated with colorectal cancer. So once you hit 50, and I know this has changed, I'm gonna talk about that, but once you hit 50, it's recommended that you get tested somehow relatively regularly for colorectal cancer. Now of this population, around one third of this demographic is not screened, and there are multiple reasons for this, no insurance, don't see a doctor regularly, etc. And according to the CDC, based on a 2015 report, Colorectal cancer screening was only 63% of adults aged 50 years or older. 7% of adults 50 years or older had used a fecal immunochemical test or FOBT in the last year, whereas 60% of adults 50 years or older had a colonoscopy in the last 10 years. So this data actually compares quite nicely to the statistics from Exact Sciences, and they show that 48% of their patients had never been screened before, 12% of their patients had been screened only with a fecal immunochemical test or an FOBT, and then 40% were screened with a colonoscopy. So it really seems like Exact Sciences has their work cut out for them because they're trying to get patients who've never been screened as a primary pool of patients here, and then they're also trying to take away from those that have done colonoscopies in the past as well as those that have done FIT or FOBT. Now, in Q2 of 2018, the American Cancer Society updated its recommendations suggesting that people who are aged 45 or older should get screened for colorectal cancer. So this increases the population pool to 104 million people who should be screened in some way for colorectal cancer. So this is obviously a boom for exact sciences because it increases the potential market. And at $500 a test, the potential market is $18 billion. Given the number of tests that they've done, it gives Exact Sciences a market share, like I said, of 5.2%. And in Q3 of 2019, they conducted 456,000 tests. So that's where the company's at right now. And obviously, there's a lot of money left on the table. And it's up for grabs by Exact Sciences, but they're going to have to argue 
to doctors as well as patients that their tests should be used, not only to patients that have previously used different tests, but also to patients that have never been screened before. So I think they have a bit of their work cut out for them, but the fact that their market share continues to increase is obviously a good sign. So one other thing I need to mention is that Exact Sciences acquired a company called Genomic Health in Q2 2019. And they are a diagnostic company as well that does diagnostics for breast cancer, prostate cancer, as well as colon cancer. But they don't use the similar method. They use a genetic or a transcriptomic type testing method. So the price for the acquisition was $2.8 billion, and that took a big chunk out of the cash that Exact Sciences has. It's been predicted by the company that they're going to have a combined revenue of $1.6 billion and a gross profit of $1.2 billion for 2020. Now, Genomic Health seems to have had a similar business trajectory to Exact Sciences regarding the expenses and the revenue that they've increased. So it's pretty much just combining two companies that are similar into this much larger diagnostic company that's going to move forward and hope to reduce redundancy in the companies and end up generating more value for shareholders. So I wanted to mention the catalysts that are coming up. And really one of the important things to look at are the upcoming earnings reports because that's where we're going to see how market share has increased or decreased and how well these tests are being adopted. There are some readouts coming out and they're kind of thin right now, but I think as they settle the merging of the two businesses, they're going to be able to focus on a real area of interest and in where they're going to move towards. And they do have some idea of that, but in order to really increase revenue, Besides their Cologuard, they're going to want to develop new tests. So one of the things they're doing is a study called Voyage, which is to evaluate the real-world impact of Cologuard. And this readout isn't going to be until 2029, so not very useful for us in the short term. The company is developing a second-generation Cologuard called Blue Sea, and this is going to increase specificity from 87% to 92%. And we could see, even though it is only about a 5% increase, we could see that drive more interest from doctors and patients. The completion of this study isn't going to happen, though, until H1 of 2021. So we still have to wait for that and hope that the legacy version is going to continue to get adopted. Now, one new test that the company is pretty much ready to launch is their liquid biopsy test for hepatocellular carcinoma, or HCC. It's a form of liver cancer that's quite devastating when it happens. The market impact though isn't huge. It's a 1.5 billion dollar market according to them and that's for 3 million people being tested. The sensitivity of the test is 80% and 90% sensitivity and this is a novel combination of six blood-based biomarkers. The study that they pulled this data from also showed 71% sensitivity at early stage HCC, 90% specificity. And they compared this to a test for alpha-fetoprotein, which is commonly used in this cancer. And the alpha-fetoprotein test showed a sensitivity of only 45% at 90% specificity at early-stage hepatocellular carcinoma. So this might be better than the already existing test. It seems that way. But with a market of only about $1.5 and we know that the adoption of a lot of these tests can take some time. So I don't think this is going to be a huge revenue driver for the company, but in the long term, if they continue to maintain the better sensitivity and specificity, they will eventually get doctors and patients on board to make this a staple for HCC testing. And the planned launch for this is in H2 of 2020, so that's coming up quite soon. So my verdict is that currently it's fairly valued, but kind of leaning towards overvalued. 
I'm suspicious of taking any shorts against this company since some people have and I've seen a few instances of them getting burned. But with a market cap of $14 billion, they're trading right now at around 10 times the 2020 revenue. And one of the issues I see with wanting to short right now is that the merged business is undergoing restructuring to eliminate redundancy in all sorts of areas, whether it's sales or R&D. So it's difficult to anticipate the expense growth moving forward. I'm going to look for the Q1 or Q2 results and reevaluate to see whether or not the uh, expenses are growing at a reasonable rate before I decide on whether or not I should short or long. The company should gain market share in all of their areas, but they're going to need to continue to dedicate resources towards making their tests a staple for patient care. And it just seems right now that not everybody has bought into them. They're similar right now to the FIT or FOBT test. And because it's so close, it's difficult for doctors to move to a new test when they know the FIT or FOBT test is already quite effective at doing what it does. But with the Cologuard 2.0 version, you could see that this improvement in specificity is going to draw a lot more patients over. Now, another way to increase revenue is to expand the number of tests. And with their acquisition of genomic health, they're obviously going to increase the number of tests that they have. And developing this liquid biopsy for HCC is also going to increase revenue. But again, unless the test is a real home run, it takes a while for doctors to switch, even if it is a little bit better. So I think it'll take time. But again, the question is, are they going to be able to pull in the revenue enough to justify this current valuation? And I'm not sure about that. And that's what I got for Exact Sciences. So in the upcoming weeks, we're going to follow the impeachment of Donald Trump. He was officially impeached by the House of Representatives, and now the articles need to move to the Senate so they can vote to convict. The odds are very, very high that he's not going to be convicted in the Senate, and he's going to remain in office. So not really much to worry about there. The stock market didn't move at all once he was impeached by the Congress, so I don't see much happening once he is not convicted by the Senate. We also need to follow up on the trade deal. I think this week we heard that Trump said that the deal is like almost completely done and all they're waiting for is the uh, signing ceremony to happen. So we'll see if that is actually true. One thing I'm going to be paying attention to in January of 2020 is the Amun PDUFA. I think the date is later in January, but we've been seeing lately that the FDA is approving drugs early. So we could see that in the early weeks of January 2020. And now my list of companies to look at, I've broken them down by uh, disease area. So in cancer, I want to look at Precision Biosciences, DTIL, as well as this company, KPTI. I've noticed a couple Alzheimer's companies that I'm going to take a deeper look at. One is Cassava Sciences, and the other one is CRTX. Cassava has been going crazy lately on some insider buying information, so I think I might do them next and also look at a couple other companies that are in the space. I mentioned earlier in the talk today that I want to look at some companies in major depressive disorder. Sage I've covered before, but not in details with MDD, nor their, their recent data. Minerva as well, and Axome. So to do a quick portfolio wrap-up, right now I'm sitting at around 18% year-to-date, which I'm happy to see. Clearside has been on a huge tear. I think they closed on Christmas Eve at around 3, so you'll love to see that. I added in my Orenia profits here. I made $193 on the call spread that I did about a month ago. Other than that, Odonate continues to hover around 30 and I still feel good about that short. 
and iovance has done pretty well as well increasing to almost 30 and i just wish i had taken a bigger position at the time so this is what the year-to-date profit and loss looks like i am uh, not beating any of the indices i have here but i am happy with the performance so far this year and we'll hope to close out 2019 with some lessons and hope to improve upon in 2020. So with that, I want to thank you all for watching. I appreciate everybody's support. Please hit the like or subscribe button if you like what I'm doing and you want to help me out. And definitely leave me a review wherever you listen to this podcast. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Thanks again, guys. Have a good one.